On this Easter Sunday, we've been singing about the resurrection and reading the story of it and praying. And now we come to try and understand that story in a fresh way, to understand this story of Mary encountering the risen Jesus in that garden and why she was so confused and maybe sometimes why we're confused. The reality is, is that people are playing multiple roles in this story in some ways. It sort of reminds me when Don and I were first married and we lived in Vancouver still, her family would have this sort of family reunion every New Year's Day. And about 50 of the family would all gather at someone's house. And it was sort of crazy. I would go around talking to people, desperately trying to remember names and desperately trying to figure out how they fit into the family or if they even did because some of them were just adopted in. And I always just wish, you know, like name tags and a map. Would that be so hard? And I think that's what we need for today in some ways as we go through the story of Mary and Jesus, just understanding that they're playing roles beyond who we know they're, who they are. So let's just take a look at that. It's sort of what's going on in this Easter story that there's symbolic meaning that has great depth here. And we're going to try and tease that out this morning. And we're going to figure out who's who in this story. But I think the result of that will be well worth the trouble that we take. So let's start. It was before dawn when Mary comes to the tomb. She's the first one to get there. This is Mary Magdalene, not Mary who was uh, anointing Jesus' feet. Mary and Martha, that's a different Mary, as is Mary, the mother of Jesus. There's all kinds of Marys in the story. So just sort of keeping them straight is a, is a challenge. And here's what we read. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark, saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb, and so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, who we know as John, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've laid him. Well, we always think of Easter as being Easter morning, but really, uh, the story starts before morning. It starts before sunrise. Just recently, I've learned that sunrise and sunset are a little more complicated than you think. In fact, there's three different dawns and three different sunsets, as you can see on the image. Um, and our story happens during these times, before it's really light yet, while it's still dark and just starting to get light, Mary comes to the tomb. And you may be wondering, or maybe you weren't, but you should have been wondering, why does John start with that comment about the dark? And I think it's this, because in John, darkness has a theological meaning. When, remember at the Last Supper, the Thursday before Good Friday, Judas leaves to go betray Jesus. And John puts it this way. After receiving the morsel of bread which Jesus had handed him, Judas immediately went out, and it was night. And the reason he says it was night is because this darkness is this metaphor for evil and for uh, the challenges with the world. And it's interesting when John's talking about this, you think, well, is it significant that Mary came in the dark? Well, I think it is. It's a, a clue to that is how John even just refers to this day of Easter. As we've been going through the book of John, you've noticed that three different times Jesus says, I will rise again on the third day. 
And this is the day that Jesus rises, that John's talking about, but he never calls it the third day. What he calls it is the first day of the week. And John, as you remember, started his book with these seven days of creation. And he was looking back, I think, to the book of Genesis. He starts out with that in the beginning. And he talks about the perfect world that God created and how on the seventh day God rests. And he enjoys this time with Adam and Eve and then, and then they sin. They do what he tells them not to do, which is eat the fruit of the tree. And it breaks the perfect world that God had created. And when God comes, they hide. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but when they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden, Genesis says, in the cool of the day, the man and the wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And the cool of the day is at the end of the day. It's almost at sunset. It's when the heat of the day has gone because the sun is going down. And in John's mind, at least, because of his thing of light and darkness, I think he sees the world as ever since the sin of Adam and Eve, the world has been living in darkness. God comes at the end of the day as darkness is coming over the world, and he announces his uh, judgment on Adam and Eve. And he tells them that they're going to be thrown out of the garden, that there's going to be thorns and thistles from all their work. And this darkness now comes over the world. And I think it's why Jesus talks about being the light of the world. John says in the beginning, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And what John is picturing there is that this darkness has been over the world since Adam and Eve sinned, since God met them in the evening of the day. And as the sun is going down and darkness is coming and Judgment is pronounced. The world has been living in this darkness that now Jesus has come into as the light. And so when, Jesus, when Mary comes to the tomb, it's still dark. And we're in another garden like the Garden of Eden. But now instead of being evening or being night, John says it's early in the morning. It's, it's just before the light breaks in. And Mary is going to be very significant in that. So Mary comes to the garden. She comes to where Jesus had been buried quickly on his death so that they could celebrate uh, the Passover and the Sabbath. And now that Sabbath is over, because Sabbath ends at, uh, the day ends in Jewish thought at sunset. So the Sabbath ended at sunset. It was just too dark to do anything then. Now the new day is about to dawn. And Mary comes and she finds an empty tomb, and it says she goes and gets Simon, Peter, and John because they need two witnesses to verify that the tomb is empty. We read, Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb, and both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Now, why 
does that break into the story of Mary encountering Jesus? It breaks in because you need two witnesses who are men in order to prove something to be true in a court of law. A woman can never be a witness, and one person can never be a witness. So you need two men to be on hand. It comes out of Deuteronomy. A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense. Only on the evidence of two witnesses, or of three, shall a charge be established. And the same is true for just authenticating something. And so Peter and John come to be the legal authentication of Jesus rising from the dead. But it's really Mary who encounters Jesus. Not just in a legal sense of being a witness, but she encounters him in a deep emotional and spiritual sense. But first, she encounters the angels. So now Mary comes back to center stage. We've had Peter and John come in and go out, you know, exit stage left. But uh, now Mary comes back in. As we read, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had laid, one at the head, one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. So Peter and John come. They see that the tomb is empty. They go back to tell the others. But Mary stays. She stands outside the tomb, and then she looks in. And obviously now it's not dark anymore. The, the morning light is starting to break. She's being able to see into the tomb. And she sees two angels. What's intriguing when we hear this description of Peter and John looking in, there's no mention of angels. There's mentions of grave cloths and empty tombs, but no angels. And you kind of wonder, did they see them? Did they not see them? Did they somehow miss them? And N.T. Wright, who has done a lot of work on the New Testament, has a great sentence in, in one of his commentaries. He said, maybe sometimes you can only see angels through tears. And that's what Mary was doing. And so maybe she sees them because it was so important to her. But maybe she sees them because they are so symbolically significant because they too are playing a role in the story. It says they're sitting where the body of Jesus laid, which would have been on a stone slab. And it says one was sitting at his head and one was sitting where his feet would have been. And if you know your Old Testament, you've seen that exact scene somewhere before. It's in the book of Exodus where God is telling Moses how to make the Ark of the Covenant, which is the mercy seat that is in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. And the top of that, which was a kind of a box that contained the Ten Commandments and other things, was a sheet of gold with an angel. Well, let's just read. You shall make a mercy seat, it says, of pure gold. And you shall make two cherubim of gold, or angels, on the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one angel or cherub on the one end, the other cherub on the other end. And what you're seeing in that uh, tomb is that lived out. You're seeing this angel on either end of this place where Jesus' body lay. 
And what happened with this mercy seat is it was inside the Holy of Holies, and the only time anyone could ever go in there and see it was once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would take some of the blood from the sin offering, and he would go into the Holy of Holies, and he would sprinkle some of this on this Ark of the Covenant, on this mercy seat between the angels. And it was for the forgiveness of sins. And what John is trying to say to us this morning is that this image that Mary saw of two angels in the tomb is that Jesus is the fulfillment of the mercy seat. No longer is sacrifice needed. No longer is it needed for the high priest to go in once a year and put blood on this place to help the forgiveness of sins be pictured. Because Jesus' blood has been poured out. And he has become the fulfillment as he is the fulfillment of the whole temple. He is the fulfillment of the Ark of the Covenant. He's the fulfillment of the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. And so Mary meets these angels and they talk to her for a second. And then she's distracted by something over her shoulder. Having said this, Mary turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know it was him. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And now into this uh, tight little scene of Mary at the mouth of this cave, Jesus enters into the picture. And he enters playing, I think, two different roles at the same time. Mary mistakes him for the gardener. Well, she mistakes him, but she wasn't entirely wrong. Because I think, you know, Adam's role in Eden was to be the gardener. To look after the garden, to... Look after what God had made. But after sin entered the world, he was thrown out of the garden, and God said to him, you know, the thistles will come up, and thorns, and the land will kind of go wild. And there was this curse on the land, which the death of Jesus had begun to break. And it's as the second Adam that Jesus comes to set everything right. And when he appears to Mary, this idea that he's the gardener, actually is one of the roles that he's playing in this story. But the other role, which is probably the more important one, that's where he comes in as God himself. It says in the evening, we read in Genesis, that God came to Adam and Eve and discovered their sin and announced their punishment, and darkness came over the world. But now it's the morning of a new day. It's the first day of a new week. A new creation has happened. And if the old creation week ended with the sin of Adam and Eve and the world going into darkness. Now the first day of the new week, the new creation, is Jesus coming and light coming back in a new day. And I think that's why John doesn't say it's the third day and Jesus rose again. But he says it's the first day of the week because this is the new creation week. 
And throughout the uh, New Testament, whenever you read of the church meeting and gathering, it's always on the first day of the week. Because it's always this mini celebration of Easter that we live in the new beginning. We live as the new creation. And John is trying to show us that with the coming of Jesus, light is breaking. The new day is starting. It's a new day. It's a new week. It's a new creation. God has overcome the sin of Adam and Eve. He's overcome the curse that's there. The new gardener has come. God himself is present. And if the last time God walked with people was in the evening going into the darkness, now it's from the darkness coming into the light. And he comes and he meets with Mary. And he asks her a very profound question. He says, whom are you seeking? And I just think God asks us that question as well. Who are you looking for? And for many of us, the answer would be, well, I'm not looking for a who. I'm looking for a what. I'm looking for meaning in life. I'm looking for forgiveness. I'm looking for a fresh start. I'm looking for a do-over. And what God promises is that he comes to us. Things are secondary. It's not the what. It's the who. Because if things are first, then we're blinded to who God is. And we're blinded from seeing Jesus as Mary was, who came looking for a body and didn't see God. As we look at that, you ask the question, well then, how did Mary actually recognize Jesus? And it wasn't by thinking through the empty tomb logically or theologically. It was when he called her by name. takes us back to a sermon that Tyler preached a number of weeks ago. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And that's the story of Mary this morning. And I think it's the story of us. I think God is calling our name today, for he laid his life down for us, and now he calls us into this new day. He calls us to become a new creation. And Mary comes to the tomb in the dark, and as she encounters Jesus, the light comes, the new day starts, the new creation becomes real. She comes crying. She comes mourning the past, she comes uncertain in the dark, and maybe that's how we are feeling at times as well. But at the end of the passage, she's no longer weeping. At the end of the passage, she's no longer in the dark. At the end of the passage, she's no longer alone because Jesus is with her. And after this encounter, she will go and find the disciples and it says in verse 18 there, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. If you were to ask me this morning, what is Easter all about? That's what I would say. It's about a new garden that replaces the old garden of Eden. It's about a new day that replaces that day where the sun set with God confronting Adam and Eve about their sin, where darkness came over the world. It's about a renewed creation when the curse that 
sin brought into the world begins to be reversed. It's about a new us, a new you, a new me. We said at the start of the story, this is a story about many people playing many roles. Jesus playing the role of a new Adam, playing the role of God who comes and meets with people in the Garden of Eden. And I wonder, what role are we playing this morning? Jewish leaders aren't in the story because they don't believe the story. They never believed that Jesus would rise. And maybe this morning, that's the role we're playing. We're people who really don't believe too much. We're here for other reasons, perhaps. Or Peter and John, who see an empty tomb and are convinced that Jesus isn't there, but, but they don't seem to be affected by it. It'll take a couple more appearances of Jesus before they really catch hold of how much that changes everything. And maybe for us, we, we know the facts of, of Christianity. We know the facts of God. But we've never been touched by God. And this Easter morning, the question is, how do we become like Mary, whose life is completely altered by Easter? Completely altered because she hears Jesus call her name. On the first Sunday that we started the sermons on John, we read from chapter 1. And I think John was pointing from that to Easter. So let's reread that passage and just hear it in the context of today. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through Him, the original creation. Without him was not anything made that was made. And in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, to all he called by name and all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of people, but born of God. I think John was talking about that in connection with Easter. And this morning, as we read this story of Mary encountering Jesus, the deep symbolism of the angels in the tomb telling us that forgiveness has come. The deep symbolism of meeting Jesus and hearing him call her name. Knowing that we can have this relationship with God. This idea that it all happens as the world moves from darkness into light. As Jesus comes and begins to shine in the darkness that we can walk in the light with God. And so this Easter morning, I just invite you to reflect on this story. To reflect on your response. Have you heard God call you by name? Have you understood His forgiveness? Have you received that forgiveness? 
Have you moved into this new day, this new creation, this new start, this new relationship with God? Because that's what Easter is really all about. Father, this morning we thank you for this story, for the symbolic elements that bring it to life. And Father God, we just pray that you would be with us as we celebrate Easter again this year. May it be a fresh experience of you, a fresh hearing of you calling our name, of inviting us into a deeper and richer and closer relationship with you. And we thank you for Jesus' death on the cross for us, but more than that, for his resurrection for his promise that all is made new. And Father God, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.